Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today we begin our new series called Living the Content Life. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and I want to honor a couple of our friends that are here that are near and dear to us. One of them was one of the best grief counselors in America, helped Michelle and I after the loss of our son Wesley five years ago. Uh, He is a great treasure, has worked with Focus on the Family as his own practice and just retired but came out of retirement to join us this weekend. We flew him in from Colorado, and he's in Will Franz. Would you stand? Come on, stand, Will. Thank you. Thank you. And the other is a dear pastor friend of ours who is doing an amazing work in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where almost 200 men are being delivered from drugs, alcohol, and addiction at Teen Challenge. He and his precious wife have given their life for many people to be free, including several people from our own congregation who have been delivered there, healed there, and God is using that. It's one of the greatest teen challenges in America, and it's amazing. You can spend $1,000 a day at a treatment center, or you can go to Teen Challenge for free and get delivered. So stand up, Pastor Boland. Thank you so much. It's a joy to have you with us today. Well, I don't know if you know this, and maybe, maybe you have to wait till you get around, but but I have just crossed the threshold of 60. I know that surprises all of you. Most of y'all thought I was 40. Okay, you're wrong for that. You, like they say in St. Martinville, you're wrong for that. But, you know, I, I, there are some lessons that I have learned by experience that I wish that I would have known when I was 26 or 36 or even 46. Experience, as you know, is the best teacher <laughs> It's also the most expensive teacher. When you learn by experience, you get the test first and the lesson last. I I don't know about you, but the only difference, I mean, I I would be a pastor and a doctor if it wasn't for Friday. Well, you say, well, pastor, what happened on Friday? That was test day. So if it wasn't for test, I'd be a doctor too. How many of you hated tests growing up? Okay. How many of you did well in school and you loved it? Raise your hand. I hate you in a Jesus kind of way. <laughs> and and, and I, I mean, I, I, how, what would it be like if the opening day of, of, of your high school year, the teacher said, how many of you hate tests and final exams? How many of you would have raised your hand? And he would have said, good, we're going to get it out of the way. The final exam will be tomorrow. In one moment, you would go from, even if you were an A student, to almost guaranteed failure because you'd get the test first and the lesson last. That's what happens when you learn from experience. Today, as we begin a new series called Living the Content Life, I want to share with you a message called The Secret to help equip you so that you can learn through obedience and not through the painful teacher named experience. It is a painful teacher. To begin today, I want to give you a visual example that that I believe will help assist us 
in what we're doing. Man is three-part. Like God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Man is three-part. And that is, come on, I'm going to give you some easy, I'm going to give you the softballs first, okay? Body, all right, you're doing good. That's your mind, will, and emotions. And the last one is your, it's your spirit. And not only are you body, soul, and spirit, but each one of these parts, each one of these parts also has a voice. The voice of my body is called feelings. It's, it's that dashboard that shows up when you're low on oil. It's the dashboard. It tells me when, when this happens. And, and I know that some of you think, I hate my feelings. Well, you, you can be thankful. Many years ago, a guy wrote a book called Life Without Pain Hurts, and he began the story of the book talking about a young toddler who, as she began to grow teeth, began to bite and eat her flesh. They brought her to doctors to try to figure out what was wrong because why would she be doing something that should be hurting her so much and that was harmful to her? And they discovered that when she was born, coming out of the birth canal, there were nerve pinched in part of her body that caused her to have no feelings in her hands. Feelings are a gift. They're a gift. They're not bad. They are a gift. The voice of your body is called feelings. And then there is your, your soul. Pastor, what, what is my soul? Well, quite often many of us talk about our soul. We're actually really talking about our spirit. But, but our soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind, will, and emotions. Now, the third part of us is the part of us that's the most significant and important part. It is our, it's our spirit. Because we are spirit. Well, you say, Pastor, why do you say that? Because Jesus was talking in John 4, 24, and he described what we are. Listen to what he says we are because of what God is. John 4, 24 says God is what? He's what? He's spirit. I mean, you, you've heard the joke, is God black? Is he, I mean, you've heard that. Is God black? Is he white? Is he brown? We know what God is. He's a Mexican. <laughs> We're the only people that name our children after Jesus, Jesus. I mean, when's the last time you met a white guy named Jesus? Of course. No, no God is not. He, God is not a body as we know it. God is He's spirit. He's spirit. And so as I describe these things to you, each one of these has a voice, and the voice of your body is called what? Feelings. And the voice of your mind, will, and emotions is called reason. Reason. As a matter of fact, if you have these two alone together and they guide your life, the Bible calls that something. It calls it the flesh or the carnal man. The flesh or the carnal man. But then there is a third part of us and the most important part of us, and that is our, that's our spirit. And the voice of our spirit, if the voice of our body is called, and the voice of our soul is called, then the voice of my spirit is called conscience. Con 
is the Latin word that means with. Come on, chili con queso. How many of you love Mexican food? Okay, there it is. It's with, chili with cheese, con, and science means to know. So even in man's fallen state, when he is spiritually dead, there is a conscience in us, in a two-year-old that's doing something they shouldn't do, and they're getting into a cookie jar, and they're going, and they're like, why? Because innately, even spiritually dead, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their body didn't fall over dead. God told them in the day they touched or ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. Did their body die? No. Did they stop thinking? No. But what happened is their spirit died. Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. You and I were born spiritually dead. And that's why the first commandment that Jesus gave us was to be born again. So today, I want to talk to you about walking in the secret. Because it really is a secret. There are many things that are happening in the world all around us, and if you don't understand the secret that I'm going to teach you about today, then what will happen to you is that you will live a life controlled, utterly controlled by these two parts of your life. Let's read and see a little bit about what the Scripture says about these things. Because I want to tell you this. It's a simple question. How many of you know what the society and the world around us cater to? Does it cater to this? Or does it cater to this? Why is this so significant? Because the moment you're born again as a child of God, you become spiritually alive. That means no matter what happens, you're going to meet Jesus when you die. That means that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But until you stop allowing this part of you to control you, you might be going to heaven, but life on earth will be hell. You might be going to heaven, but life on earth will be hell. Let's read what the Scripture says. Let's read what the Scripture says about this person called the flesh or the carnal man. These two things ruling our lives. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says this, those who are motivated by the what? Flesh only pursue what benefits who? But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is what? But the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds what? Say it again. In other words, if I am led by my flesh, even if I'm a born-again child of God, I have death. Now, what does that mean, Pastor Jacob? Wait a minute. What, 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 what does that mean? What, what does that mean, death? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, three strangers came that God never intended man to experience. Guilt, fear, and shame. Guilt, fear, and shame. And when guilt, fear, and shame came, it began to motivate and control the flesh. Man's mind, his reason, and his feelings. As your pastor, I know every one of you, how many of you 
prayed and were born again right here like we're going to do at the end of the service. How many of you are born again in this church? Raise your hand high. Raise your, look around you. You were born again right here. Okay. When that happened, you became born again, but your spirit was like this. And you began a spiritual journey, and whatever part of this you fed, whatever part of this you fed, that was the part that began to grow. And many precious people that are in our church, look at me. I'm not mad at you. Don't be mad at me. Say, Pastor, I'm not going to be mad at you. Say, say one more time, Pastor, I'm not going to be mad at you. Say one more time, Pastor, I promise I won't be mad at you. Okay, many of you are born again, and I know you're a child of God, and I know Jesus lives inside of you, but when I see what you put on Facebook and Instagram and the way you drive, I mean, I hope you tied the don't put a church bumper sticker of our Savior's church on the back of your car because your car hasn't got saved yet. You can clap, it's true. This mindset, as your pastor, my desire is to flip this around so that your spirit becomes the dominant part and that it gains control of your life and it rules over your mind versus allowing your flesh to dominate and rule over you. Because I can tell you, if this rules over you and your right person didn't get elected, you're going, what happened? I don't believe what happened. Listen, we lived through Jimmy Carter. They couldn't even make good beer. I didn't don't drink, but that was for those of you who know back in the day. Yesterday, I was coming around the corner to pick up, actually, uh, Pastor Bowen to, to, to go eat. And I was coming around the corner here on East Broussard from Milton, and I was coming around, and there's that curve, you know. And it just started raining, and, and, and I came around the curve, and the first thing is I saw some cars stopped in the oncoming Lane, and so I looked over to my right, and there was a Range Rover that had flipped over and was in the ditch. And a lot of times, what happens when you're driving and you don't know that road, you can be going, it looks like you're going straight, and then you realize it's a curve and you overcorrect. I, I feel like there is a mass amount of people in the body of Christ that are like that precious lady. Of course, I did what all of us should do. I jumped out of the car. I ran over and said, is anyone in there? And they said no. And I looked over and there was a lady that had got, gotten out who was, thank God she was fine, and a 13-year-old child, and they were fine, and all she needed was her phone to call somebody for help. But I feel sometimes that there's so many precious believers who allow what is going on around them to utterly control them so that they are completely controlled by the flesh in moments like this. Why does the Bible say it's death? Look at me. It's not because everything that you feel is wrong. But I asked you in the beginning, what does this world cater to? Does it cater to your spirit? What does this world cater to? It caters to your flesh. What are most people living for? Are they living for their, or are they living for the flesh? So you tell me. Come on, go ahead. Well, you know, y'all used to be Catholic. This is mass confession. Just get it all out at one time. <laughs> Just get it all out at one time. What is it? The, the flesh. What do you call a society that lives for the flesh? Who is controlled by what they feel and their emotions? What do you call that? There is a word. 
Can I give it to you? Okay, does anybody besides those six people, would, would anybody else like to know about that? Here it is. It's hedonism. Living for the pursuit of pleasure. Let me give you the dictionary. This is straight out of the dictionary. Hedonism is the pursuit of what? Pleasure. Sensual self-indulgence. It's the ethical theory that pleasure in the sense of satisfaction or desire is the highest good or proper aim of human life. Hedonism is I live for pleasure. I live for pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Who created pleasure? Well, as one preacher said, it sure wasn't the devil. I'm I'm married. How many of you are married? Come on, go and claim her. She's sitting right beside you. How how many of you are grateful for the act of marriage? Raise your hand. Hey, thank God for honeymoons. Let me just say that again. Man, I'm trying to help you. You know, the saints could lose tonight. (laughs) Aren't you grateful that God gave the gift of intimacy in marriage? You know who created that? God, let me ask you something. Who made a chicken fricassee taste good? Come on. Who made an etouffee? A couvillon? A gumbo in the cold breeze? A big old fat Tabasco ribeye from Charlie G's? The devil hates it. Who gave us all of these different tastes to enjoy? Answer, God. He gave them to us to freely enjoy. But do you know why you cannot live for pleasure? You can't live for pleasure? Because ultimately, all of that is going to die. Matter of fact, around this time of year, I mean, you know, I came from Texas. So one of the most shocking moments that ever happened to me, I mean, when I came to Louisiana, I saw the most beautiful women I had ever seen in my life. And all the men said, I'm trying to help you, man. You're not helping yourself. Look, and Will's leaving on Tuesday, so there ain't no marriage counseling or grief counseling going on. One of the shocking things that happened to me is, I saw gorgeous, beautiful women, all made up, man, fine, walking in. Like, and, 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 and my wife would say this. She would go, I got an envie for some crawfish. I'm like, really? And you walk in this gorgeous woman. I mean, women that should be in beauty pageants, and they bring that old tray of crawfish out there. And you know what these women do? I'm telling you, I've seen it with my own eyes. Pull that head off and suck it. Their eyes are wiggling back. And then they stick their finger in there and go. I mean, I do have a question. Who was really the first guy that got that hungry? Like, did you get pick something up for dinner? No, but I'm going out looking to ditch. <laughs> who, who came up with that? Who came up with that? 
And so it is to this day, my, my wife and my daughter, man, come around this time, they'll go, baby, I'm, you know, listen, a crawfish, are there, are there any crawfish out yet? And then they'll go and then they want that all V, they want a crawfish, they want some, something, and they'll get in there, man, they'll just start fingers and heads and orange stuff flying and stuff. Okay, and about that, the end of that first tray, they sit there, they go, uh-huh. And that which they wanted so desperately, they're now sick of. Why? Because every fleshly desire will ultimately die. But to be spiritually minded is life and being. I actually could say it like this. I can tell you how much peace you have. Which one are you feeding and which container is biggest in your life? Because all the appetites of the flesh live here. And listen to me. There's nothing wrong with the pleasures. God gives them. He just wants you to have them in right perspective. Is there anything wrong with being rich? Let me ask that again. Again. How many of you have been poor? How many have been just broke? How many of you had money in the bank? How many like having money in the bank better? There's nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong with that is when you act like that's going to last forever when it's not. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasure. There's only something wrong with thinking that's it in all that matters. Because you know what the yearning desire is of every person here? The yearning desire of every person here is to get anywhere north of 50 and be able to say, what I'm done with my life is going to last. What's so bad about this is, if this is all you live for, it dies with you. But when it's like this, And like this, then you send it in front of you and you leave legacy behind you. Can I tell you something old people know? How many got an old grandmother or grandfather? Come on. Prayed. Come on. Every time you see him, baby, I'm praying for you, Sha. You need to be in church. I know you're out there running at the Mardi Gras. Hanging out over there at the strip and all of that stuff over there. I know you are, but baby, you need to be. Do do you know why they do that? Because as this fades, they begin to see very clearly what is eternal and what matters. That's why. They've tasted of these things that are now dying and those desires that are now gone. And they now look back, just as I'm communicating to you by experience and say, I lived for this as though it was going to last forever, as though this was the most important thing. It was a lie. It's not. Turn around. Feed that which is spiritual. Live with life and peace. Be filled with God's purposes. That's what matters. That's what matters. Why am I saying all of this to you? Because you can never lead a life led by the flesh 
right here. You can never lead a life led by the flesh and ever experience all of the amazing things that God has for you. You can't. You'll do good based upon how your job's doing. You'll do good based upon who got elected. You'll do good based upon, you know, somebody that you love mad at you. My wife's not here, so I'm going to say this. And if y'all tell her I said this, I'll say, you were in the flesh. (laughs) My wife is the most beautiful woman at her age in America. I am the most grossly overmarried man in America. And don't agree, God will judge you. (laughs) She, She is, and I am. And by God's mercy and grace, we have an amazing marriage and we have walked through challenges like many people. I look at Johnny over here and what he and his precious wife have walked through. The loss of a child, almost losing his life. All of the stories they've walked through and how God has sustained and kept them. Do you think if they would have built their life on the flesh, they could even be alive, much less sitting here with victory and joy in their life? Of course not. Of course not. Today, I want us to enjoy all that God has for us. And I want to close today by giving you a little exhortation from somebody who's about to tell us some things that seem almost hard to swallow for moments of our life. Here it is, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and I want you to read it out loud with me. Are you ready? Let's go. Be be cheerful with joyous celebration in season of life. You think that meant after the election? You think that meant after your kids did the unthinkable? I, I, I hugged somebody here today that was walking in. I've known them, dedicated a little boy when he was an infant, married them. I said, hey, where's your husband? She goes, oh, my son totaled his trek last night, and he thought he needed some time to cool off. I said, well, good, you're probably right. Tell him to watch service online. She said, but my son's going to Iraq on Tuesday. I said, that's more better. Praise God. And she said, yes, pastor, praise God. Let joy overflow, for you are united with what? The anointed one. Let gentleness. Another translation says humility be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is near. Read this with me. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about what? But instead be saturated. What? In Throughout each day, offering your faithful request before God is an overflow of gratitude. Read this together with me. Tell him every detail of your life. Now, that almost seems like no sense. I'm going to tell you why about that in just a moment. Then God's wonderful, which transcends human understanding, will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Read this with me loud. So keep your continually on all that is authentic and real and honorable and admirable, and beautiful, and respectful, and pure, and holy, and merciful, and kind. Read this with me. And fasten your on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Paul tells us some be things here that are hard to be. The first thing that he says is be cheerful. 
You know what that tells me? Cheerfulness is a choice. Cheerfulness is a choice. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. Really? How many of you have ever been in an argument at home with somebody? How many of you are old enough to remember when you had a phone that rang at home that was not wireless? Okay. Have you ever, let me tell you something. If you, ring, ring, hello. <laughs> you, have, you ever see that? And you stop and go, hold on. You said you needed two hours to cool off, and in 10 seconds you cooled off when you heard ring, ring. Here's the second thing that he says. He says, be joyful. Don't act joyful. Be joyful. And then he says, the reason that you should have joy is not because of your circumstances, but who you're connected to. Here's the third thing that he says is, be consistent. Be consistent. In every season. That's what that means. In every season. Many years ago, I was... uh, when we just had the Broussard campus, Pastor Eugene had counseled a couple that the wife had had an affair with her, with her boss. The husband called Pastor Eugene, and Pastor Eugene was meeting with them and counseling with them, and afterwards he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, I think we really had a breakthrough. He said that she, I believe that she's repented. She repented to her husband, and, and, and I believe that, that they're going to reconcile and, and, and be back together. I said, man, that's wonderful. So like Sunday service here, I'm out greeting and shaking hands with people, and the man comes walking in to the Broussard campus, and he's, he's kind of sad looking, and I said, hey, good to see you. Um, where's your wife? And I can now see the children about where the sign is over there behind us walking up, and he said, Pastor, she said uh, she said she doesn't want me anymore. About that time, the children came walking up, and I motioned to them, and I said, why don't y'all go on going to church? And I pulled him off over to a side room. Those of you who have been to Broussard campus know where it is. And, and I said, to, to what happened? Well, I, after we met with Pastor Eugene, she said she wanted to work on our relationship, and she said that was what was most important. And, and then and now she, she doesn't want me anymore. She's going to leave me and go to be with him. And he said, Pastor, what do I tell my children? We have prayed that God would restore our marriage. What do I tell my children, Pastor? And I looked at him, tears in his eyes, and I said, look at me. And I took him by the shoulders. I said, look at me. He looked up at me. I said, do you think your children are ever going to go through loss in their lives? And he said, and I said, do you think they're ever going to go through disappointment? And he said, and I said, do you think they might even go through broken relationships And he said, and I said, then show them how to walk through it and trust God and his word, regardless of what happens. I developed a mantra during our darkest season. Be stable, be consistent, be strong. God is with me. Be stable, be consistent, be strong. God is for me. Be stable, be consistent, be strong. God is in me. 
He's for me. He's with me. He is in me. He's for you. He's with you. He's in you. So when everything else in the world is being controlled by the flesh, you can stand on something that is unwavering and eternal and unmovable. The next thing he says is be prayerful. Be, be prayerful. He says, be prayerful and don't be worried about a thing. Do you know what the, the, the English root word for worry is? To strangle. To strangle. So either you will be strangled by worry in your flesh, or you will be saturated by prayer in your spirit. Either you will be strangled, your mind will and emotions. Why did they do that? I wish I could do that. If I could go back and do something different, why did I do that? And you'll replay it a million times. Anybody ever done that? Has anybody here ever replayed it like sometimes when you replay it, this time it's going to have a different ending? That's Groundhog Day. Maybe if I would have said, maybe if I wouldn't have said, maybe, look at me. That's you trying to be God. God is God all by himself, and he doesn't need our help. I've tried being God for like 30 seconds with my family. It was hard. He is God all by himself. He is God all by himself. And he waits for us to trust him. And to allow our spirit to be the controlling part of our lives so that every time a curve comes that we don't see, we flip over and the whole world is shaken because it's built on something that's temporary. Be prayerful. Look at me, church. You can worry well or you can pray well, but you can't do them both. Can't do them both. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Can I tell you what old people used to say? <laughs> when I was a kid, I grew up in a church where we had altars. Anybody grew up in a church where there was altars? And an altar was, for the, many of you, how many of you are Catholic in your background? An altar was the thing up here that only the priest could approach. But in the church I grew up in, an altar was like the pew you're on, except that there wasn't the back. And at the end of every service, every service, you would come up, if, you, if God spoke to you in the message, and you would stand at that altar, and the pastor would say, if this applies to you, and you know you need to pray through this, I want you to kneel, and I want you to pray, and I don't want you to get up until that weight that's on you is off of you and on Jesus. Maybe we need to bring back some altars in our church. But it's not just a church. It's in every part of your life. Because worry will come on you in the middle of the night and try to steal your sleep. And either you can hold it or you can say, God, I cast it on you. And the more it comes, the more you cast it on him. And it goes just like this until finally you become saturated with prayer. <laughs> 
saturated with prayer. And then the last thing he says is this amazing. Be peaceful. Be peaceful. How could Paul say this? Because he knew something we didn't know. You know what he knew? He knew that God created us to live with our feelings and emotions, not by our feelings and emotions. Remember when your children were little and they did something dumb? And they're over there crying, and you wipe that face. Stop that grumbling. Snotty. I said, why? You remember when, when your mama chose that guy that would be the perfect guy for you to marry? And he was the nerd of the neighborhood. Okay, but she was sure he was going to have a nice house for her to retire in <laughs> and a mother-in-law suite. And your mother would say, now, why don't you like Elmo? Elmo is just wonderful. And Elmo would come on and go, ah. And you would go, Mama. If you were honest, you don't like Elmo. But you know why? Because you can't command your emotions. But you can command your will and your spirit in obedience to God's word. Here's what else he knew. He knew that obeying God was not an emotional condition. It was a spiritual position. It's like, I don't care what I feel like, I am going to obey God. You say, Pastor, that sounds miserable. No, it's called Christianity. Galatians 5 tells us all the works of the flesh, love, strife, wrath, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, and the like. And then it goes into the fruit of the Spirit. Then fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, self-control. And do you know what the next part says? And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh along with his passions and desires. That's what it means. That's what it means. Let me give you that verse again. Put, put, it, put it back up for me, please. The verse. For the mindset on the flesh is what? But the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds what? Which one do you want? It's your choice. And it isn't the mind that feels, it's the mind that's set. You have to set it because it'll start jumping out of here. What well, did you hear? CNN just said, I don't know. What did you hear? I don't care. I'm still, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free and nobody believes anything on CNN TV. (laughs) You could could sit here and you could do all this all you want. Look at me. And you will be controlled by your flesh and everything that is temporal and in your dying breath, you will go go, (laughs) 40 years from now. Who really won? It won't even matter. If I was in a real black church, somebody would run. (laughs) 
He knew that obeying God was not an emotional condition, but a spiritual position. Here's the third and final thing. He knew his spiritual condition. He knew his spiritual mindset and condition could rule over his physical position. He knew that. He knew that. He knew that he could come to that Jesus moment, you and I, Lord, this is not what I want to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Do you know, you might think that that, that Paul doesn't have a clue of what you're going through right now. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote these letters? I'm reading to you this letter. You know where he was? Where was he? In prison. He was sitting next to his own defecation in a jail cell, chained up. But you know the secret he learned? That if the Spirit of God is in control of your life, you can be in a jail cell and be freer than somebody who's in a palace. Because it is your spiritual condition not your physical position that controls your life. Today, I pray that God by the Holy Spirit speaks to you and has given you something that you can take and impart to your life so that you're not tossed by the winds and the waves but you're building on that which never, ever, ever, ever changes. Not pleasure, but the purpose of pleasing God, living at His pleasure. Living at His pleasure. Father, today we thank You for the precious people that are here. Lord, right now we pray for our nation Send revival to our nation, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, this world, their flesh is riled up and fighting on every end because they only see through the eyes of the flesh. So there's guilt and fear and shame and blame and worry and anxiety. But I thank you that as born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled children of the living God, we can build our lives on that which brings life and peace regardless of where we are, in a country, in a city, in a palace, in a jail cell. Because Christ in us overflowing is greater than any circumstances outside of us. Jesus, I speak peace over every precious person here. Just take a deep breath right now. Receive the peace of Jesus. Jesus, you breathed on your disciples and you said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Lord, give your peace. Holy Spirit, comforter of God, come to every precious child of God now. Comfort them. Put your peace around them. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. 
Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab in the inner city of Houston. That day, I was born again. The old Jacob died, a new one was raised from the dead. It was like that little can I showed you. But he began to grow spiritually. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead, and so were you and I. That's why your spiritual journey begins the moment you're born again. Have you been born again? The answer to that question determines not only whether you have life and peace here, but whether you know the God that created you and made you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm the only one looking. I'm going to ask you today to raise your hand if you want to be born again. Again, you say, Pastor, I've been christened, baptized, joined the church. Is that enough? That's not what Jesus said. He said you had to be born again. So if today you'd like to be born again, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat. I'm not going to embarrass you or call your name, and I'm the only one that's looking, but on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Even the restlessness in your soul, the anxiety that you've wrestled with is not an accident. God's using that to probe you, to bring you to himself. Two, people are praying for you. People are praying for you. That's why you're here today. And today is your day. Three, if that's you, would you lift your hand high? I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Come on, yes, one, two, three. Lift it high. Four, five. Lift it high. Six. Anywhere else? Seven, eight. Anywhere else? Nine. Okay. Ten. You can put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I know I should have. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me right now. I'm asking just those that didn't raise their hand, but you should have. Wave it at me. Twelve, eleven, twelve. Wave it. Okay, you can put your hands down. 13, yes, I see it. Now let's pray out loud, church, with all those that raise their hand. Let's join them together. We're going to join you as you pray this prayer to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.